0: You may remember in recent weeks that Pastor Justin, when he's had his head, said it's been popping and cracking and scaring everybody, so uh, hopefully that won't happen this morning. I understand that we have some new equipment involved, and uh, maybe we'll have a better result. I would like to ask you to turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 11, you know, in recent times of we're often months apart, but when, we, uh, when I've had opportunity to speak to you in recent months, we've been going through Hebrews chapter 11, we've considered Abel, we've considered Enoch, we've considered Noah and some of the other verses here in um, Hebrews chapter 11. And this morning we're going to look at the passage that has to do with Abraham, who is the next in this hall of faith. Uh, Just a word of explanation, in our Sunday school class, we're in this passage, and we spent several weeks looking at verses uh, concerning Abraham uh, that uh, begin back in verse 8. What I would like to turn our attention to this morning is just verses 17, 18, and 19 uh, further down in this account uh, concerning Abraham, and so we're going to turn our attention to those verses this morning, in particular to verse uh, 19. And then I want us to turn over to Genesis 22 and read uh, a few of the verses there as well. So let's read beginning with Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19, and then we'll turn over to Genesis chapter 22. Hebrews 11:17. 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. And now over in Genesis chapter 22, I'd like to read verses 1 through 14 so that we understand this account of what uh, the writer of Hebrews is referring to there in Hebrews chapter 11. So this is Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took, he took it in his hand, the fire and the knife. So, so they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they both went Now, for those of us who are familiar with this story, it is too easy for us to not be shocked and disturbed by this account of Genesis chapter 22. For one thing, we know how it ends, and that draws our attention away from the troubling details that are presented here. May I suggest that next to the gospel accounts describing the crucifixion of our Lord that this is the most difficult and challenging part of the Word of God. This is one of the great dramas in the Bible. How was Abraham able to do what he did? How could he take Isaac and leave Sarah behind, taking with him a knife and wood but no lamb? How can Abraham walk for three days with Isaac by his side? his son who removed his mother's reproach and brought joy into her home, this son whose name means laughter. How could Abraham walk up the slope of Mount Moriah knowing that he would take a knife and cut his throat when he arrived at the top? Think about what Abraham is being asked to do in in terms of your tender affections for your own precious children. It is an extraordinary thing. It is a a horrifying scene, a shocking request, is it not? John Owen makes this comment. He says, another instance like this of Abraham, there never was, nor ever shall be. This is often referred to as the sacrifice of Isaac, but it's probably more accurate to call it the binding of Isaac, a term that's often used uh, to refer to this account. Now, it's hard to underestimate the importance of this passage of Scripture. It is, in fact, at the very heart of three great world religions. It is of central importance to Judaism. This account establishes the location of the temple and the place that all the future sacrifices that will be made. This is where the temple will be built according to David's plans and Solomon's hands many years later. You'll note in Genesis 22 here, it says, go to the land of Moriah. If you look over at 2 Chronicles 3.1, we'll see that when uh, Solomon is about to do his work, 2 Chronicles 3.1, that we read this. Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to David his father at the place that David was appointed on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. So we see that the temple is going to be built here in this very same place that we see Abraham taking his son Isaac in the account of Genesis chapter 22. You may be aware that in Jewish theology... This supreme act of faith of this man, or by this man, Abraham, when faced with this impossible challenge, creates in the Jewish mind such a treasury of merit that it extends to all his descendants after him. At the Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah, uh, these words are often read. May it be your will, O Lord our God, That when the children of Isaac come before you with sins and evil deeds, that this binding be remembered for them. And may you be filled with mercy. If we have no other merit, remember Abraham's deed. And so this is a very central idea to what Judaism is uh, to our very day, uh, this binding of Isaac by Abraham and Abraham's faithfulness. It is also of central importance to Islam. Now, the word Islam means submission. One of the two great Islamic holidays is the celebration of the submission of Abraham to God's will in the sacrifice of his son. Now, of course, in the traditions of Islam, it is Ishmael and not Isaac that is the son of his love that is to be Sacrifice. Abraham, this submissive man to the will of God, is thus the first Muslim, and he is the father of Muslims. And when you see pictures of Jerusalem today, if you see photographs of Jerusalem today, what dominates the landscape? there in jerusalem and if you're there you're president in the city this dominates the scene it is the dome of the rock uh the islamic shrine that is built on the former jewish temple mount and located over the rock which where it is believed to be the exact spot where abraham binds ishmael for sacrifice so it is in, it is central to uh the uh I- the religion of islam it is also central is of central importance to our Christian faith. And this is what I want us to consider this morning. What does the binding of Isaac mean to us as Christians? How can we see Christ in this story? I want us to consider two statements from Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 19. So if you want to look back at that verse where we read these words, He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking he did receive him back now the first thing i want us to think about from this verse is the words that are near the end of the verse and it is these words from which figuratively speaking he did receive him back now the words figuratively speaking is actually one word in the greek it's the word parabole and we get our english word parable from this word now this word occurs about 50 times in the new testament And in all but three or four times, it is translated by our English word parable. New American Standard translates this phrase this way, from which he he also received him back as a type. Now, the writer of Hebrews is telling us that the story of Abraham and Isaac is a picture, a type, a parable to teach us spiritual things. This is one of the things that makes the Bible so rich and beautiful. God does not just give us His truth in straightforward propositional statements. Now, He does do that in places in the Scripture. But the Scriptures don't read, and His truth is not revealed to us as a legal brief. But God actually reveals to us His Word in the living colors of human life. His eternal truth, is often it often comes to us clothed with human experience and human emotion. God not only wants to teach us, but He wants to move us. He wants to fill our minds and our hearts with His truth. And so He communicates to us in, in ways that are vivid and, and graphical, uh, and, and He does that in the events of providential history in such a way that the drama of life is filled with truth. And, and, and life itself becomes a parable and a picture to teach us about ourselves and about Christ. And that is exactly what we see here with Abraham and Isaac. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that we are seeing a parable in these things, that we are see, seeing shadows and pictures and types when we look at Abraham and at Isaac. I want you to consider with me a number of ways that Isaac is a type of Jesus Christ in this story. The parallels are quite extraordinary and as we should expect them to be if God is in fact teaching us. It is, it is things like this that let us know that the Holy Scriptures are a supernatural book, that, that God's hand is in this when we see all of these extraordinary parallels. I have uh, 12 that I've listed. I cut my list down for much, much longer. Uh, So I want to share them with you quickly. We're not going to spend any time on any one of them, uh, but just to show you these parallels between Isaac and Christ. The first is that Isaac was a child of promise. The promises of God to Abraham are entirely dependent on a child that will be born to him by Sarah. It is through this child that Abraham will be blessed The nations of of the world will be blessed and that God's salvation will come into the world. Jesus is the Messiah that is promised before all time, promised to Adam in the garden, promised by the prophets over and over again. And so we see this parallel between Isaac and Christ. They are both children of promise. The birth of Isaac was pre-announced. In Genesis eighteen ten. we read, The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. In Luke chapter 1, verses 30 and 31, And the angel said to her, that is to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Isaac, was a child born from an impossible birth. Genesis chapter 11 verse 30 says, Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Genesis 18 11 says, Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. And so we see that Isaac is truly a miracle child. It is absolutely impossible in human terms that Abraham and Sarah can have a child. Throughout her all the years of her youth and of her vigor, Sarah was never able to have children. She was a barren woman. And now she is even past the age when, had she been fruitful that she could bear children. And so we see the parallel between this and the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ because when we consider Christ... Mary is not in a position to have uh, a a birth come to her. Luke chapter 1 verse 34, Mary says this, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And so we see in the birth of Isaac a picture of the supernatural birth of our Lord. We see a picture of the virgin birth here uh, in the birth of Isaac to the elderly man Abraham and his wife, who are old, advanced in years. Isaac was the only son. Genesis chapter 22, 2, in the passage we read, take your son, your only son, Isaac. Of course, we know when we come to the New Testament, John three sixteen, for example, for God so loved the, so loved the world that he gave his only son. Both of these men, Isaac and Christ, the only son of their father. Isaac was the the son that his father loved. Again, in Genesis 22, it says, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Of course, we know that our Lord, in in Matthew's Gospel 3, 17, speaking of our Lord, And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. uh, Isaac was the heir of, of all that Abraham had. In, in Genesis fifteen four, we're told, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man, that is Ishmael, shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir, referring to Isaac. In Hebrews 1, 2, we read, In these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Isaac was the heir. Christ the greater heir, the heir of all things. Isaac was by God's command to be made a sacrifice. Again in Genesis twenty-two two, go to the land of Moriah and offer him that is Isaac there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Isaiah fifty three ten. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has he has put him to grief, And so we see in both cases, Isaac and Christ, they are to be sacrificed by God's command and by his will. Isaac was to suffer by his father's hand. Offer him there as a burnt offering, Genesis 22 tells us. The verse that we just read about Christ, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. It is at the hand of God that our Lord Jesus Christ will be brought to grief. Isaac bore the wood to be used in his sacrifice. In Genesis 22, 6, we read, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. John 19, 7, And he went out, bearing his own cross to the place place called the Place of the Skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha as it was authored, offered on uh, Mount Moriah. We saw, saw that in Genesis 22 two. But in the verse that we just read, uh, John 19, 17, Christ is to be crucified at Golgotha. Golgotha is the northern part of Mount Moriah. It is, in fact, the highest part, the highest point. And many believe that this may be the very place that Abraham would have taken Isaac to to offer him. He would have gone to the summit of the mountain. And so it very well may be, we don't know for sure, that it is Golgotha, that is the very spot where Isaac was bound. Isaac made no resistance. Genesis 22, 9. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now I want you to think about this verse for just a moment. Abraham is over 100 years old. Isaac is not a little child. Many commentators think that he was probably approaching 20 years old when these events happened in Genesis chapter 22. It is not possible... That Abraham could bind him, if Isaac does not cooperate, he must too believe and obey what God is doing here in this event. It's not possible that he could not have escaped. He could not have resisted his father. It would not have been possible for Isaac, uh, for Abraham, to bind Isaac without his cooperation. Of course, in John chapter ten, verse seventeen. Christ says, for this very reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Isaac was offered but was received back from the dead. In our text in Hebrews 11, we read, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Notice that that the language there is past tense, that he offered up Isaac. He considered He offered up Isaac. Excuse me, I lost my place in my notes there. Give me just a moment. He offered up Isaac. And that language is past tense language. It was his purpose to do so. How can it be spoken of in the past tense there in that verse? It was his purpose to do so. And he set out to do it. And he was doing it. And he would have done it had God not intervened at the very last moment by providing a substitute. Now, it is a fair question to ask, with all of these parallels between Isaac and Christ, how much did Abraham understand about spiritual things? Did he understand the pictures that we can see and the parallels that we can see? Well, certainly Abraham could not see with the clarity that we see. The New Testament tells us that the Old Testament things were shadow and picture and type. And as plain as they are for us, uh, it was not the case for people in the, in the Old Testament days that they could see so clearly as we see now. 1 uh, Peter chapter 1 uh, tells us that the Old Testament prophets would make prophecies and then they would seek diligently to try to understand exactly how those things would be. But note with me this statement that our Lord Jesus Christ makes about Abraham. It is quite extraordinary. It is found in John chapter eight and verse 56. If you would look at that verse, John 8:56, I want you to see what Christ says here concerning Abraham. John 8:56: "Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it." and was glad now let me ask you when did abraham see the day of jesus christ may i suggest to you that it was in the unfolding of the events at moriah that filled abraham's eyes of faith with wonderful things to come your father abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad now, the second thing I want to draw your attention to in Hebrews eleven nineteen, 19. And it is the opening words that say, He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. Now, this text tells us that Abraham considered, that he reckoned, that he calculated. Now, no doubt Abraham had the same initial reaction that we would have in the face of such a command. He probably fell all to pieces, and that's exactly what we would do if we had if we were in a situation where we were required to kill our precious child. Uh, I, I think our reaction would be exactly that. But our text tells us that Abraham thought it through, that he considered God, that he considered his promises that he considered his power that he had seen at work many times in his life. Many miraculous things have happened in the life of Abraham. And he concluded, according to our verse here, he concluded that God is able to raise men even from the dead, if necessary, in order to keep his promises. He was convinced that God was able to perform even the greatest of miracles And so he obeyed. I suggest that Abraham had a belief in the rightness of God and of his actions. And I would suggest to you that this is a necessary part of true faith. Do you believe that we all are answerable to a holy God, that he has the right to take life, that that we belong to him and that he can do with us as he pleases? I know that it is not an easy thing. For us to accept those kind of ideas. But here is the real issue and problem. If you and I will not accept the justice of God and its implications, then we will never receive the goodness of the gospel. The lamb caught in the thicket will be of no comfort to me or to you if there was no well-deserved judgment in sight. We cannot have grace unless there is also justice. Grace is receiving what we do not reserve instead of what we do reserve. And so if there is a message of grace, then there has to be this fundamental confession that our lives are forfeit to God and God is right no matter what he requires and no matter what he does. And I suggest that this was the mind of Abraham. At the root of the matter, God will do what is right. And if right means Isaac is to be destroyed, then that is God's right to do just that. But may I also suggest to you that God was gracious to Abraham from the very beginning of this story. That while Abraham believed in the rightness of what God was doing, though it was hard, even impossible for him to understand, He also had been given a promise for his faith to hold on to. Again, look with me at Genesis 22 and verse 2. Note the words there, Go to the land of Moriah, to one of the mountains which I shall tell you. Now later on, Mount Moriah will be a place. It will be the name of a specific place. But not as this story begins. The word Moriah means God will provide. Yah, J-A-H, Yah will provide. God says to Abraham, go to a place where I will provide to you. I will show you one of the mountains. Moriah is not a place. It is a theological idea that God The God that you believe in will provide for you. That is what he is saying there when he says, go to the place of Moriah. Go to the place where I will provide for you. And as you travel, I will show you where you are to go, which mountain you are to go to. It later will be known, that place, as Mount Moriah. Note in verse 7 and 8, what? We read, and Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said, here am I, my son. He says, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they they went, both of them, together. Why would Abraham say to Isaac, God will provide? Because that is exactly what God has already told him that that he will do. Go to the place where I will provide for you. And so Abraham can honestly say to Isaac, God will provide for us a lamb. Now note in verse 14, at the end of the story, he named the place Jehovah provides. Yahweh provides. Yareh, you may know it better this way, Jehovah-Jireh, the Lord will provide. That is the name that he names Mount Moriah following the deliverance of Isaac by the hand of God. In verse 2, go to the place where where I will provide for you. Verse 14, he named the place Jehovah provides. Do you know what the message of God's dealing with Abraham is? It is, trust me, when you come to the very worst circumstances you can imagine or a situation that is even worse than you can ever imagine. That is where Abraham was in this story. I will give grace to you, grace to save, grace to deliver, grace to rescue, grace to provide everything that you need in, <clears throat> excuse me, in your hard place. Do you believe that God will provide? There is one last symbol I would like to point out to you, and it is the ram. The ram that is also a type of Christ. This ram is a picture of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. There are only two times in the Bible where God provides the actual sacrifice. Here in Genesis 22 is the first. Every sacrifice going forward will be provided by the offerer. The offerer provides for his own, from his own resources. The next time that God provides the sacrifice is at the cross. This sacrifice is pouring us to the Son of God and the day on Mount Moriah when again the Lord will provide. I suggest that the ram is a fitting image of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is a sheep, the picture of meekness. He is also a mighty horned animal, a fitting emblem of strength and courage and no mere helpless lamb. And so Jesus, when he was offered up, displayed both the most lowly meekness and humility, not opening his mouth before his accusers, but also the most ferocious strength and power, conquering all the forces of darkness as a mighty ram drives away his enemies, with his fearful horns. And that's what we see happening there on the cross. Also, note this that we see here the doctrine of substitution. The ram in the place of Isaac. If we are Christians, Christ in my place, Christ in your place. So, what are we to think about these things? Again, in John chapter 8, verse 39. Jesus said to them, If you are Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. Now it is Abraham's children who go to heaven. How do we do what Abraham did? We need to trust the God of Abraham. We are called to trust the God who raises people from the dead. If that's what it is necessary to bring salvation and deliverance, that's what our God is able to do. We are called to give this God our past and our future, our everything, our very self. That is what Abraham was called to do. And that is what we are called to do as well. We are called to give give the risen Jesus, the greater Isaac, the greater Ram, all of our life, all of our circumstances, all of our sins, all of our mistakes, all of our disappointments. And here is the question. Can you trust a God who would give his son to die for sinners? Can you trust a Savior that would lay down his life for rebels and to do it willingly? I urge you this morning, to cast yourself by faith on the Lord Jesus Christ who died and rose again. This is the parable of Abraham and Isaac. This is what Abraham, the father of all the faithful, is doing. And that is what his children do. And I can promise you this promise. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will not be disappointed. Let's close with a word of prayer.